0: back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 122, when we go back, back to, the, to past, the past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and by canceling the podcast and killing off Chris and Reggie, only to reboot the show with all new hosts. What? How would that be for the new year, Chris? How does that sound to you?
1: <laughs> It'll be the new Cosmic Treadmill, and uh, and we'll both be wearing masks.
0: Oh, that'd be nice. I'd like that. I'd like to wear a nice <laughs> ka- a kabuki or maybe a... a balaclava. Uh, that would yes. be nice. Uh, speaking <laughs> of new, the, today we're talking about the new Avengers number one, January 2005 cover date. The story is called Breakout Part 1. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, pencils by David Finch, inks by Danny Meekie. I get that there, right? I think so. Yeah, sure. Colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by Richard Starkings and Albert Deschesny. Editors or Tom Brevort, Nicole Wiley, Molly Laser, and Andy Schmidt. It retailed for 225 USD, 325
1: Canada. I can't believe they kept the price that low with all those editors on the book.
0: I, <laughs> well, I think. <laughs> I think Andy Schmidt was really getting the short end of the the pay. Probably. Uh, Probably, uh, he was uh Yeah, paid you know,
1: in comics, yeah.
0: It's it's amazing. I'm looking at this like 225. That seems reasonable to me now, but uh, I'm right? sure the outcry was a lot different in uh, 2004 when this was published. <laughs> so we're going to talk about, of course, the uh, man of the hour, the guy that wrote the thing, and uh, this episode I think will act as a pretty good expanded bio of Brian Michael Bendis who was born August 18, 1967, in Cleveland, Ohio. He grew up in University Heights, where he attended the Hebrew Academy of Cleveland, excuse me, a private Orthodox religious school for boys. His parents divorced when he was young, and Brian was raised primarily by his mother. To the A.V. Club in 2007, Bendis said... Everyone's a product, and I'm not going to do a Bendis voice, if anyone thought we're we're not doing that, we don't do that kind of thing on the show. Uh, Everyone's a product of (laughs) who they are, and I think that me being raised by a single woman with not much of a father figure definitely had an effect. One similarity I see between peers and some of the people who read my books is that comics were definitely an outlet for us. I was into comics because these were my real male role models, even though at the time, I didn't know it. So Bendis loved comics at an early age, and to the Jewish Telegraph Agency in 2018, he said, I studied them like the Torah. I memorized the ads. At five, I literally stood on the sofa and said, I will be the artist on (laughs) Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, he decided he wanted to be a, in the comic book industry When he was 13 years old uh, He was working on his own comics at the time Including a Punisher vs. Captain America story That he would revise several times over He was a fan of Marvel comics in particular And he emulated idols such as George Perez, John Romita Sr. John Romita Jr. Jack Kirby and Klaus Janson. Now at this point he was still very interested in drawing And not just writing the comics I think uh, some newer fans might not realize That yeah. I, I think that was his Primarily primary Love
0: was the art. As, so. as you, as we'll see also, he's not unprolific in that. Area absolutely, also, we'll, <laughs> absolutely. Not, not as prolific as the writing, but we'll we'll get to it. Certainly.
1: Now he later discovered noir crime books uh, by uh, Jim Storanko, such as Chandler Red Tide, that came out from Pyramid Books in 1976. In 1978, Storanko would say about this project, Chandler was a fill-in book. That particular number of the Fiction Illustrated series was to have been Ralph Reese's Sherlock Holmes book, which was eventually published as Fiction Illustrated Number no. 4, Son of Sherlock Holmes, in 1977. Ralph uh, had worked on it for a year, and Byron realized that the book couldn't get out in time. He asked me if I would do a book to replace it. There are two men you never ask to fill in on a late deadline, Neil Adams and myself. We're both overcommitted. Iron's a good friend and I tried to do what I could for him so I said I would do this book. It was produced in two and a half months where it should have taken at least six months to do. It was my first visual novel and it was a major project.
0: You ever have a job like that, Chris, where the older guys tell you to slow down? <laughs> you know, like, come on now, you know, <laughs> take it easy <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> So, uh, Bendis also read the works of Jose Munoz uh, Like the long-running series, A Lack Sinner And its spin-offs, Joe's Bar and Sophie uh, The series began in 1972, but we're gonna guess that Bendis was reading the English translation of a 12-issue run titled Sinner Which was published by Fantagraphics in 1989 Seems to fit neatly in his, uh Time reading comics Um, as a 20-ish year old teenager Uh, These in turn led him to discover the documentary Visions of Light uh, That came out in 1992, directed by Arnold Glassman, Todd McCarthy, and Stuart Samuels Which is about cinematography and filmmaking It needed three directors for it Yeah. Uh, From this, Brian began developing what would, would become a signature noir style now, while in high school at the Academy for a creative writing assignment, he submitted a novelization of Chris Claremont's X-Men and the Star Jammer story. You got an A-plus for that. Wouldn't that be plagiarism in, <laughs> in your... I don't know. Uh, at, at age 19, Bendis began attending the Cleveland Institute of Art while working at a downtown comic book store where he eventually sold some of his early work. He told the AV squad in that earlier interview... First year in college, I was going to art school, and I was tutoring some kids in artwork, which was really disgusting. If you saw my artwork, that was really offensive that people were paying me to teach them to do the stuff that I was doing. One of the guys said, hey, I heard the guy downtown owns a comic store and is paying like $50 for the McFarlane issue of Detective Comics. And I was like, spit. I have that, and I need the $50 more than anything. So I went down there to sell it, and he offered me $25, and I said, this is worth $50. And then we were haggling, and the guy goes, are you Jewish? And I was so offended, like, what, because I'm haggling? And I go, yeah. And he goes, good, I'm Jewish. Listen, I'm a lawyer. I need to go to court. Take the keys, run the store. I'll pay you in a few hours. They never even asked my name.
1: How about that? (laughs) Uh, He continues. The work at the comic store became more of a a college to me than the school I was paying thousands of dollars a year to go to. I'm actually very glad I worked at a comic store, and I recommend it to a lot of people who ask me. I have literally gone to the warehouse, picked the comics up, put them in a car, saw how they were distributed, how they got from A to B, how they're displayed on the stands, why they're displayed on the stands that way. And while I was working in the comic store, I did a comic book. My graduation thesis from, like, my second or third year, I can't remember, but at the end of the semester, you had to pick a project, and I made it like an anthology project. And I sold the comic book at the store as part of the project. Now, this anthology would be called Parts of a Whole, came out in 1991, and would ultimately lead to deals with Caliber Comics and Fantagraphics for Bendis. He started out professionally as an artist, doing work for local magazines and newspapers. He worked at Cleveland's largest newspaper, The Plain Dealer, as an illustrator. In a 2018 interview with OhioMagazine.com, he would say, "'For two years, I war- I walked into The Plain Dealer every day—I'm sorry, every week, trying not to get fired. My editor wanted more feistiness in the paper.' I didn't realize how close I was to being fired a couple of times, but the interaction I had with the readers set me up for the main stage at Marvel. My rhino skin came from the plane dealer. He'd also take gigs at birthday parties and bar mitzvahs. Uh, he would draw caricatures for the uh, for the parties. Mm-hmm. After they uh, printed a redrawn run of pieces of a whole, Bendis began producing more work for Caliber Comics, including Spunky Todd the Psychic Boy, number one. <laughs> that, that's a very interesting title, and it had a...
0: Uh, it, would get me to, it would get me to want to check it out. I'm absolutely. interested for sure.
1: <laughs> this bugger had a uh, April 1992 cover date. Uh, Caliber Comics was an independent comic book publisher and was founded by former bookstore owner Gary Reed in 1989.
0: Yeah, they weren't a huge player, but they... they Played throughout they, the '90s, and I think they closed. They down. were around for a little while, yeah. Oh yeah, in early like early 2000s, so they they hung in a lot longer than some other outfits. Sure. Uh, Bendis began a series of independent noir fiction crime comics when he published two issues of Fire; those had January and February 1993 cover dates, and five issues of AKA Goldfish. These were released as Ace, Jack, Joker, King, and Queen issues, September 1994 to May 1995 cover dates. That was with Caliber. At some point in college, Brian would start a website with a forum that would come to be known as the Bendis Boards. Over the years, it would take different forms over different sites. It would incubate a generation of writers, including Nick Spencer, Charles Soule, Joe Ismus, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Joshua Hale Fjalkov, uh, Fjalkov, sorry, Cody Chamberlain, and Gail Simone, although she was more... I think she was already writing I don't know, I don't know the full story hmm. It's important later on that those Bendis boards existed In 1994, <laughs> writer-artist David Mack asked Bendis to illustrate his new book, Kabuki Bendis did some preliminary work, but David thought better of This and it himself The two remained best friends in the industry According to a 2001 interview with David Mack Bendis illustrated Flaxen from a script by James Hudnall With David Mack providing inks The story featured former Playboy playmate Susie Owens as a mascot of the Golden Apple Comics chain of comic shops in Los Angeles. Responding to a question on his website's message board in 2001, David Mack said, Brian and I met at the Chicago Convention. We were both doing create our own comics through Caliber and other publishers. At one point we were both signing at the Caliber table and the, at the same time at the same time and introduced ourselves and showed each other our work, and immediately became friends and hung out together for the entire rest of the show. And at the show he told me he was up for some penciling gigs and wanted me as his inker. So we began working that way as well, and we were on the phone every week from then on. And we began critiquing each other's personal work as we developed it. This was hugely helpful, and we each sort of shaped and formed the other in our early formative years. Brian's advice in POV opened up a whole new worlds to me at that time that enriched my approach to my storytelling, and I'd like to think I was as helpful to him in that regard.
1: Now, Bendis' best-known early work, Jinx, starred uh, starred the uh, titular bounty hunter in a crime noir version of the Sergio Leone film The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That began publication with cover date April 1996 and would run seven issues, also a Jinx charity special in 1997 from Caliber. And most of these early works actually share a common universe. You've got Goldfish, Fire, and Jinx sharing characters and settings, as, as well as tone. Uh, through Caliber, Bendis met many of his longtime friends and collaborators within the comics industry, and that would include Michael A. Von Oming, Dave Mack, and Mark Andrejko. Impressed with A.K.A. Goldfish, image founder Todd McFarlane sought out Bendis, which led to his writing Sam and Twitch. That was a, uh, set in the Spawn universe. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bendis approached Sam and Twitch primarily as a crime comic. It's really quite good. Uh, I think that was that was my introduction To Bendis was uh, through Sam and oh, Twitch.
0: Oh yeah. you were already a Spawn guy. Yeah. It was an easy transition. <laughs> easy there, sell. Really, yeah.
1: <laughs> now he'd write Sam and Twitch for 19 issues, cover dated August 1999 through February 2001, as well as most of the first 10 issues of Hellspawn during that same period. In 1996 and 1997, Bendis moved from Caliber to Image Comics, where Jinx and his other previous crime comics would be republished by Image's Shadowline arm uh, in trade paperback. At Image, he would also produce five more issues of Jinx. Now, in
0: 1998, Bendis co-wrote and illustrated the six-issue comic book, Torso, with Mark and That was October 1998 to September 1999, cover dates. The book tells the true story of the real-life torso murderer, a serial killer who was active in Cleveland during 1934 to 1938. He was arrested by former Prohibition agent Elliot Ness, who used his band of unwavering lawmen known as the Untouchables to catch him. So they had something else to do after Prohibition, so that was nice for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, In uh, 2000, Bendis produced three issues of the autobiographical Fortune and Glory, a true Hollywood comic book story, December 1999 to April 2000, cover dates for Oni Comics, And that same year saw the debut of the superhero police noir detective series Powers, which debuted April 2000, co-created and co-produced by Michael Avon Oving and published by Image at this point. Uh, This series is said to still be in production. The last issue was volume four, number six, July 2016, released through Marvel's creator-owned icon imprint. Around the time Bendis began Sam and Twitch, his friend David Mack began working for Joe Quesada's Marvel Knights imprint. And Quesada invited him to pitch ideas for Marvel Knights, which included a planned but ultimately unproduced Nick Fury story. Now, we've discussed this before, but Marvel Knights was Marvel's post-bankruptcy ploy to juice their intellectual properties by handing them over to the big young creators of the day. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment.
1: Yes, uh, Marvel Comics then-president Bill Jemis On the recommendation of Cassada Would hire Bendis to write Ultimate Spider-Man And that debuted in 2000 Bendis adapted the 11-page origin story of Spider-Man From 1962's Amazing Fantasy number 15 Into a 7-issue story arc hey. uh, <laughs> With Peter Parker becoming the titular hero After the 5th issue uh, Mark Bagley, uh, the artist on the uh, book Didn't want the job at first He said to Newsarama in 2006, Editor-in-Chief Bob Harris sort of gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. Bill Jemis really wanted me on the book, and Bob made it clear that if I didn't take this, what was then a six-issue miniseries, I I would not like the consequences. Not in so many words, but it was clear. Uh, To... I can't believe this is a website to Sorry, I, I, I,
0: that's just the site. Yeah, <laughs> it is what it is.
1: Uh, to bookslot.com in 2009, Bendis would explain: Stan Lee has said in hundreds of interviews that the reason the Amazing Fantasy number no. 15 story is so short is because that it was all the pages he ha- he was allotted, so he got right to it. He didn't get to show Uncle Ben be anything in that note that we saw and we care about uncle ben we care about uncle ben because peter told us to and i thought oh here's an opportunity to show the relationship to show that he was a good man but that peter is a teenager and he's wrestling with the with all the frustration that entails and i can't think of one person in the world who hasn't lashed out at their parents or their guardian at a time when they're trying to figure out their humanity for themselves i wanted to really get into that and show the culture clash and really make you feel it when uncle ben dies it isn't just because Peter told us. Hopefully, you'll feel bad.
0: Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the, book, the book was a bestseller, often surpassing in sales those of mainstream Marvel Universe title, The Amazing Spider-Man.
1: Usually surpassing the entire Marvel line. Well, uh, the, the
0: whole line at the time. Industry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know. I, I I've never read this. Uh, I am interested. I'm, I, I have the Marvel app, but um, I wonder if Stanley would have. Expanded the origin to seven issues. Had I was, he
1: this I was gonna say, if, if you, <laughs> if I hate to say this, but if you have 15 minutes, you, you can read it,
0: you know. Uh, yeah, uh, anyway, so <laughs> uh, that Bendis Bagley partnership of 111 consecutive issues of uh, Ultimate Spider Man made their partnership one of the longest in American comic book history and the longest run by a Marvel creative team beating out Stanley and Jack Kirby on Fantastic Four. The series introduced the Miles Morales character, but he wouldn't put on the Spider-Man costume until Ultimate Spider-Man concluded with number with issue number 133, a June 2009 cover date, and volume 2 launched with an August 2009 cover date, and that would be Miles wearing that uh, web-based union suit. Uh, the success of Ultimate Spider-Man birthed the Ultimate line of comics, with many of which... Uh, Bendis subsequently wrote, including Ultimate Marvel Team-Up, Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate Origins, Ultimate 6, the first three issues of Ultimate Power, and the Ultimate Comics Doomsday Meta-Series. Mm-hmm. And during that time he cranked out the comic We're gonna read today
1: <laughs> <laughs> And I hope nobody gets it twisted Here I, I actually adored Ultimate Spider-Man but it is a very Very breezy read it's a Very quick read
0: but uh, I, I did I, love I've, it I've actually I've heard only good things About the yeah. Spider-Man I've heard a lot of things about the Ultimates, but good things about the Spider-Man.
1: <laughs> it's true. I, I, I really think uh, Bendis was born to write Ultimate Spider-Man. Wow. It's really it's really good stuff. Oh. Uh, just very quick read. Uh, we jump across the table and meet David Finch. He was born on the 4th of July in 1971 in Montreal, Canada, so the 4th of July really didn't matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, David Finch started his comics career drawing Top Cow Productions' Cyber Force picking up from the series and studio creator Mark Silvestri with issue number six in 1994, and then he drew intermittently to issue number 31, that's uh, 1997. Finch co-created Ascension with Matt Bat Banning uh, that ran 22 issues October 1997 through March 2000 for Top Cow, uh, though Banning left shortly before the series debuted due to creative differences he had with Finch. He later worked on the first three issues of Aphrodite 9 with David Wall. Issue number zero was released with an issue of Wizard Magazine on November 30th, 1996. In 2000, issues one and two were published, and then David Finch left the book and took a break from the comics industry entirely it's a long wait, isn't it? Yeah, really. Four-year wait from issue zero to
0: one? Yeah, well, you know, at least it was uh, perfect. I don't know. <laughs>
1: You're growing roses here. Uh, in 2003, Finch returned to comics for a year-long long arc on Ultimate X-Men with writer Brian Michael Bendis. Those were issues 27 through 30, March through May 2003, and then again on 34 through 45. That was August 2003 through July 2004 cover dates. Following that, the duo moved on to the Avengers Where they destroyed the superhero team And that volume with issue number 503 December 2004 cover date And then they relaunched it as new Avengers Featuring a radically different cast And we'll read that first issue today
0: Whee! But first, Mm -hmm. of course, we want to talk about uh, The hero's reborn return thing That led to all this mishigas As uh, Mm -hmm. my grandmother used to say So Following the onslaught event, many of Marvel's core heroes were presumed to be dead. This included the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, franchises that had seen their better days, sales and interest-wise, anyway. What actually happened was a a fate arguably worse than death. (laughs) The heroes were shifted under the guidance of Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and given a Pocket Universe reboot. This is where we get what is known as the Big Booby Cap. It is. Uh, volume 2 of Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Captain America, and Avengers Would run 13 issues apiece Kicked off with November 1996 cover dates And wrapped up with the World War III crossover Which had the Marvel heroes meet and work alongside with the Wildstorm heroes mm-hmm. while, while critically panned, Heroes Reborn did result in a bit of a sales surge Jim Lee claims that Marvel proposed continuing the Heroes Reborn at Wildstorm indefinitely under the condition that he draw one of the titles. He passed, and we're suspicious that this offer was really ever on the table to <laughs> begin with, quite frankly, but okay. Uh, Heroes Reborn is likely a topic we'll discuss at length somewhere down the line. We've touched on it so many times. We Yeah. We've, we've talked about it, Chris. We've never read an issue from it, I don't <laughs> think. Once. Maybe, maybe we have, but I don't think we've ever gotten in there, but one day we will, so we'll put a pin in that for now.
1: Yeah, it's like when you get the jello with a banana floating in it and you eat around it. Exactly. you don't yeah. want to take I a bite don't, who out of the banana. who wants
0: the banana. Why did you, you put that no. in there? Come <laughs> on.
1: <laughs> now, after this 13-issue experiment, the heroes were returned to Marvel under the heroes' return banner. With January and February 1998 cover dates, Volume 3 of Fantastic Four, Captain America, Iron Man, and Avengers were launched with brand new number ones. oh. So, yes, again, uh, I I guess Marvel's new number one fetish is like 20 years old at this point. It's almost old enough to drink. (laughs) But uh, Now, this launch notably brought the uh, acclaimed uh, Wade and Garney team back to Captain America, and it also gave us a pretty spectacular run on The Avengers, written by Kurt Busiek, with art by the legendary George Perez. The series launched with... A whole lot of Avengers, yeah. uh, so many that with issue number four, April 2005 cover date, they needed to trim down the roster. They actually had to like set, okay, we're having X amount of Avengers, let's fill it. Yeah. Um, but for the initial arc, anyone who was ever an Avenger makes an appearance, which, you know, it did give George Perez an excuse to draw nearly every Marvel hero to that point, so it's something we'll allow.
0: Yeah, they were like, give us the crisis treatment already over here. Please. Uh, so we'll give some quick and dirty beats from this volume, this uh, volume three. Uh, During the deliberations regarding which Avengers will join the active roster Hawkeye gets perturbed to be left out of the Founders' meeting Though picked as a member, he eventually winds up leaving to hook up with the Thunderbolts Who were villains posing as heroes while the Avengers were away Though were now actually attempting to reform Uh, The final lineup is Captain America, Thor, Scarlet Witch, Warbird, Carol Danvers uh, Iron Man, Vision, and as mentioned Hawkeye. Also included were New Warriors alumni Justice and Firestar.
1: Yes, uh, during the early bit of this run uh, Carol Danvers gets a bit of a long-running subplot regarding her alcoholism. Uh, she would eventually get redefined as an inactive member of the team because uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, during a battle with the Squadron Supreme who were Marvel's Justice League analogs mm-hmm. Wonder Man makes his return and he's now a being of complete energy. Sure and a love triangle between he, Vision, and Scarlet Witch would brew until Vision ultimately leaves the team.
0: <laughs> the team would get two all-new members in the form of Silverclaw, who is sort of a mix of DC's Vixen and Panther from the New Titans, and Triathlon, mm-hmm. an Olympic athlete who had the powers of the of Bronze Age hero 3D Man, <laughs> who was Roy Thomas's homage to the late Golden Age Simon and Kirby character Captain 3D, which actually did come out during the 3D craze of the 1950s, so there was a reason for it, and an excuse to provide commentary on the commie-smashing era of comics.
1: Yes, after a successful outing against Moses Magnum New York holds an Avengers Day parade The Grim Reaper shows up to resurrect some dead Avengers Which included Mockingbird, Thunderstrike And Captain Marvell, who was an honorary Avenger uh, And this is before Marvel realized that they could just use It was a scroll all along <laughs> to cover their bases
0: so this Oh, is, uh, Stan Lee knew it, what do they forget? What <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, after a disagreement about the leadership of the Avengers Scarlet Witch would take on the role of the morale officer of the team Trying yeah. to keep everybody happy.
0: Yeah, that's she's, she's never had a slip in in that. Never, case, ever, so that's ever. Fine. Uh, after a battle with the Wrecking Crew, Ultron returns. Mm-hmm. Everybody's ultimately destroyed by Hank Pym and some vibranium. There is a battle tying into the particularly awful juggernaut, the Eighth Day Event, where the Avengers battle beings called the Exemplars. (laughs) This ends with the team being at odds with the news media. Thor yells at a bunch of reporters, and that doesn't really help matters. Captain America decides to leave the team. Only he's just pretending. He's actually undercover, looking into a group called the Triune. And the Triune, who figure in more prominently, are a shadowy group that has been rubbing up against the Avengers for much of the volume to this point.
1: Yeah, and it was uh, the p- one part of the book I really didn't care for. It was pretty dull. Yeah. Um, now there's a Silver Claw centric arc, which digs the old Conan the Barbarian villain, Kulan Gath, out of the mothballs. Wow. Uh, during this, we learn that Silverclaw might be the daughter of a god. Um, Goliath and Warbird wind up saving the day here. Uh, George Perez winds up leaving the book with issue number 34. November 2007 cover date after an arc featuring Madame Mask and the Magia. Well, was, I think it was I, November
0: 2002. Oh, uh, sorry. November sorry. 2001. It, yeah. it would have been, been earlier, yeah. Sorry.
1: Now Alan Davis would take over for Perez And the Avengers title would enter into a seemingly endless Kang story arc Uh, Kang Dynasty ran from Avengers Volume 3, issues 41 through 55 uh, June 2001 through August 2002 Plus the Avengers Annual from 2001 Uh, The story actually depicts Kang, Kang the Conqueror arriving in the 21st century And successfully, though temporarily, taking over the Marvel Universe Sounds like a big deal but it was only depicted <laughs> in this book. So So this wasn't happening in Spider-Man, it wasn't happening in Thor It feels like a a, DC
0: Comics trick To me, you know what I mean, that's the kind of thing you see Over there a lot, yeah
1: (laughs) Now, the United Nations and all of Washington DC was destroyed in this event Uh, The story was planned and already In progress before the 9-11 terrorist Attacks, and uh, Marvel chose not To alter the story
0: Yeah, which I thought was uh, pretty interesting For sure Uh, Unkang-centric picks have to do with the triune understanding Still being dinks Mm -hmm. And Carol Danvers' drinking problem isn't mentioned anymore more after a while yeah. Jeff Johns took over this uh, title As a, as writer on Avengers With issue number 57 That in October 2002 cover date He wrote three story arcs Search for She-Hulk, World Trust And Red Zone And I read that first one <laughs> Don't don't care for it uh, <laughs> This run also featured the seat of Hank Pym And Janet Van Dyne in bed Had to do with Hank shrinking And uh, going down, down If you know what I mean Heading to southerly Uh, This scene has been cut from some versions of the trade collection for obvious reasons.
1: Yeah, it's one of those scenes that makes you feel a little dirty It's one of these, um, things,
0: one of these things you might have drawn when you were a kid That you <laughs> don't really want to see as an adult How did that get in there? Yeah, whoops
1: <laughs> Now internet punching bag Chuck Austin would get the next crack at the team And he takes over the title with issue number 77 That's March 2004 cover date uh, One of the few sort of memorable bits of the Austin run Is the introduction of the new female Captain Britain mm. She wasn't around for very long mm. Uh, also, Wasp and Hawkeye started an ill-fated romance. Now, this leads us right into Avengers Disassembled. Uh, we're going to just do this one in in very brief, because we might want to actually cover this long form later on. Yeah. Down the line. Uh, Avengers is given its legacy numbering back with its 500th issue. So this September 2004 cover date, it would have really been volume 3, number 85, if they didn't go back. <laughs> uh, and I think both numbers were on the cover anyway, so what are you going to Yeah. Think? Uh, and they would be canceled three months later. So, so. it's
0: irrelevant, anyway. Who cares? Hey, Marvel, but whatever don't number go
1: you want. <laughs> Avengers number five hundred saw the arrival of Brian Michael Bendis, who uh, makes what might be Marvel's first threat or promise of. Breaking the internet in two uh, We have Jack of Hearts arriving at Avengers Mansion and he explodes uh, We've got a mind-controlled Scarlet Witch having a little bit of an episode And she makes the Avengers look foolish in front of the United Nations Which causes all sorts of problems
0: Yeah, She also causes She-Hulk to go crazy and tears Vision in half he would mm-hmm. dead for several years from that point She-Hulk also beats the hell out of Cap and Wasp Dr. Doom, who's been controlling uh, Scarlet Witch all this time, orders that she summon an army of Cree warriors to invade Manhattan, and Hawkeye dies during this battle. Dr. Strange arrives and accuses Scarlet Witch and uh, Wanda of turning on the team because there's of something having to do with the children she'd lost. The one she... Somehow had with Vision, which I, frankly, was never totally cleared up for me, I gotta tell you. I don't but
1: think it ever was. I don't, know.
0: Maybe that's just one of those things, you know. <laughs> uh, she lashes out, but she's placed in a coma. Uh, Professor X and Magneto arrive to retrieve her, and this would be followed up in Excalibur Volume 2. In the wake of this chaos, the Avengers team dissolves. Until...
1: New Avengers number one Whoa. But first, what? Uh-oh. just what is New Avengers? Uh, we're going to go back to a November 27, 2004 article With the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette It was called Marvel Bands Characters Together And in it, editor then-editor-in-chief Joe Casada would say The New Avengers is set up to attract new comic book readers By featuring several of our characters Who have been successfully adapted to the big screen Now the idea to bring these top tier characters together Came from Brian Michael Mendes, Who would say Why can't this book have the coolest characters in it? Mm -hmm. Uh, comics fans at the time would compare the new Avengers lineup to the Magnificent Seven era of Justice League You know, having many of the most popular characters at the core of both groups
0: Or in my mind, I would think of the very first incarnation, you know what I mean? That was the, sure. biggest, the biggest Marvel characters all in on one team uh, Fans expressed concern that Marvel's most popular characters were already facing overexposure Bill Langford, comics proprietor of Knoxville, Tennessee, is quoted in the pieces saying Wolverine is like in like eight or nine books in like eight or nine books a month spider-man is in like six or seven so there is a problem with overexposure at first how crazy is it that this concern was printed in a newspaper? Right. Like, is this a fact? No, this is some guy's, <laughs> like, a... but second, you want to talk overexposure, just wait until Bendis sets his sights on S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeesh. But uh, luckily, Marvel has cured that problem of overexposing its heroes. So of course. Bendis wasn't concerned about overexposure because he knows addict, uh, comic fans will usually buy the books where Wolverine and Spider-Man show up, no matter who else is hanging out with him. Exactly. Uh,
1: A USA Today piece from October 21st, 2004 also mentions the use of the more recognizable to Normies characters. They say, hoping to capitalize on the success of several popular comic book films, including the Spider-Man and X-Men franchises, Marvel Comics is revamping its Avengers comic book to feature heroes who successfully crossed over to the big screen. Gone gone from the team are Wasp, Hank, Pym, and She-Hulk, New cast members include Spider-Man, Wolverine, Luke Cage, Spider-Woman, and Sentry. A mysterious mystery. A mystery member. It's yeah, it's true. A mystery member is also on the team, but he won't be identified for several issues. And uh, really, only including this bit because it wasn't until we started doing the research for this for this episode and this launch that mm. that I realized that this was an effort to piggyback off the movies. Right. Uh, I mean, I I'm not in the movies now. I wasn't in the movies then, so I just assumed that this was like Marvel finally getting with it and being like, okay, we've these these are our top popular characters, you know. DC gets to do with the Justice League with all the top characters, so why don't we get to do it with the Avengers? You right. know. Like, do we really want, you know, Cersei and uh, Jack of Hearts when you could have Wolverine and Spider-Man? So. And there,
0: there are sort of almost analogs to Justice League. Not, not, sure. one, not one-to-one, but they got their, like, all-powerful flying. They got their, yep. you know, ninja-ish spider, Spider-Woman thing. So, yeah, they got all that.
1: Your techno guy, right. your god. Yeah. So, like, my mind was thinking, like, oh, okay, Marvel's getting with it, and they're making Avengers top tier. But t- it's funny because, like, jumping ahead, was it fourteen years now? Yeah. Today, today, my brain immediately jumps to like the movieization of comics yeah. <laughs> anytime something like this happens. But uh, back in two thousand four, I guess I just wasn't there yet. I it, wasn't seeing it.
0: You didn't see it yet? Well, yeah, you weren't seeing the movies. Also, I have to say, if this was supposed to be a, an allegory to the popular movies of the time, which at that time. I guess maybe Avengers wasn't. I don't even know if Avengers was out. Avengers, yet, but the,
1: the Avengers franchise hadn't started yet. That
0: hadn't the started. The Marvel Studios but, stuff hadn't uh, started yet. Recognizable characters like Sentry. I know the Sentry was somewhat new and was popular <laughs> to Marvel fans, you know. But like we, sure. anyway. All right, let's let's put that and, and Spider Woman. That's you know that's the other one. And again, I I know there are Spider Woman fans. So I'm not I'm not trying to malign or impugn them. But if I was trying to snag normies. You know, I might pick a Hulk. That's, what, that's all I'm trying to tell you. you. Might. Anyway, uh, we're going we're gonna to get right to the comic now. New Avengers number one for real this time, everybody. Hey. Uh, this issue might have the last of the iconic Marvel covers. And I don't know if you saw this, Chris, because you, you probably actually read the issue, the uh, mm-hmm. print issue. I did, but yeah. online, they ha- I don't know if they had a variant. There are two covers. One is the iconic really? one that you're describing here, which is... The new Avengers, shrouded in shadow, only lit from behind after lightning crashes. Uh, is it is it like a motion cover or something? Because in the digital, there are two covers, one with the silhouette, one with the characters.
1: Uh, no, this uh, they might have had both at the time, but uh, the one I have is the silhouetted one. That's right. It's, where you can just see like the the outline of them. Just a little bit it, of them, but the, yeah, uh, there's yeah.
0: one where they're like they almost look lit from the front. So that might, that might be a more oh, recent one or something. Maybe uh, very weird. I'm gonna we'll put them both up on the on the sure. up. So you can take a look. Uh, this team is led by Captain America, who's flanked by Spider Woman, Iron Man, Spider Man, Wolverine, the Sentry, and the mysterious Ronin Mm -hmm. The issue opens with a look back at some of the events of Avengers Disassembled, Scarlet Witch going mad, the apparent deaths of Hawkeye, Ant-Man, and Vision, and it's revealed that those things happened six months ago.
1: Yes, now the story proper opens with Electro, the villain, having a meeting with a mysterious character in a darkened room. This character is attempting to sway and convince him to take part in an upcoming event.
0: The deal is acceptable? It's still kind of vague. But the money. I'm talking about
1: the plan. The plan is vague to me.
0: The plan is up to you. We don't care how you do it. You're a talented man, and we wouldn't be so arrogant as to tell you how to do what you do. But you'll need to create a distraction so complete that the authorities won't even know what has happened until it's long past.
1: The fella impresses upon Electro that this is the perfect time to strike because the X-Men are otherwise engaged, the Fantastic Four are out of the country, and, as we all know, the Avengers
0: are kaput. We believe the time is now. Costume or no costume. That's completely up to you.
1: And I tell you what, somewhat surprisingly, yeah. Electro decides to don the, his costume
0: for it's the. It's kind of been game. a while, right? Up to this point, he kind of put it away for a long time.
1: Because costumes were like kind of something at this yeah. point we were all sort of too cool for back in the mid 2000s.
0: And also the movies, although again, I guess just Spider-Man had really come out, but the movies kind of did put away the costumes uh, down the line. But a lot of a lot of leather, yeah. Exactly, they got a very realistic because that's what people would wear. Mm-hmm. anyway if uh, if especially for likening like we say to the movies uh, we shift scenes over to rikers island uh, this is R-Y-K-E-R's <laughs> island of course more specifically the raft to rikers maximum maximum security installation this is of course certainly based on rikers island it's even in the same location yeah, oh, you know, off the coast of Queens, uh, if you look at a Marvel map, but they just—I don't know why they have to change the name. I don't really understand. Oh, no. Chris, do you are they, <laughs> uh, can you get sued by a prison? Is that a <laughs> thing? Wonder. Uh, this is New York City's actual jail complex located on an island. In the East River between Queens and the Bronx, and my fact I love to talk about with with Rikers Island is Rikers Island is connected by a bridge to Queens. It's right, really right off the coast of Queens. You could, you probably even swim to it if the waters weren't too treacherous. But uh, it's technically a part of the Bronx. Uh, and if convicts were allowed to vote. That would be a Brock's voting district. Uh, it, tur- it turns out not to come up too often for just that reason, Chris. But the reason that this happened, this is this is what I like about it, is that the second governor of New Amsterdam, Peter Stuyvesant, known as Pegleg Pete because he had a peg mm-hmm. leg, uh, he was a, actually quite a liberal guy. He ch- made a lot of changes in the uh, colony, the Dutch colony. But one thing he hated was people that didn't worship the Dutch Anglican Church. So uh, what he did was uh, he just abused the heck out of some Quakers, and uh, they complained to the Dutch West India Company, and the Dutch West India Company sent a replacement for Peter Stuyvesant. Uh, They fired him, but he was so angry that one of his last acts was to give that island right off the coast of Queens, which was being used by Quakers— to Joseph Von Ricker in the Bronx And it became Riker's Island So there, about that? <laughs> there is your story Out of spite and out of scorn The island is a part of the Bronx Nice <laughs> <laughs> Now
1: back to the book We have a helicopter landing And from it emerges Matt Murdock and Luke Cage Who are there to rendezvous with Jessica Drew
0: Yeah, she says Matthew Murdock, I'm Jessica Drew It's a great honor to meet you Spider-Woman The first and best
1: Jessica is introduced to Luke Cage Who isn't exactly pleased to be staring down the business end Of several shield rifles
0: They are gonna point those things at us all day? Shield policy If you're gonna have to suck it up until we get inside
1: Matt then introduces his other associate Foggy Nelson Who is initially too scared to even deboard the chopper
0: Inside the raft Jessica leads the trio of fellas
1: Yeah, Murdoch says
0: How many are down here? Eight levels of them Let's see, they got Bushwhacker, Carnage, Crossbones, Jigsaw, Tiger Shark, Vermin, Scarecrow, Mr. Hyde, the Purple Man, the whole damn wrecking crew. Great. The UFOs, whoever they... Purple Man is here. Right over there, you know him?
1: now the final story arc of the max series alias featured the purple man in a prominent role and uh everybody thought it was cool to use that, him again but the connection you know yeah <laughs> but these are both bendis books so we'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> uh now cage asks if he can see him and uh drew replies that he can though he's pretty drugged up at the moment and might not realize who or what he's looking at the group boards an elevator and they begin a long descent Foggy's getting more and more worried by the moment. He goes, what are the precautions here? How thick is that glass they got them behind? Uh,
0: I'm not an expert at anything, but it's not glass that they're now thin. Those are monitors. Live broadcasts are their cells, which are behind a thick steel metal adamantium lined cell. I don't know what else they can do to keep all these creeps under wraps. We're underwater. An army of highly trained, fully armed S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. All of them have been cut off from any and all human contact. Their powers have been neutralized.
1: But didn't Luke Cage just ask if they could see him? I, I thought, that it, was it a window? Is it a, is it a monitor? What are you do? Uh, <laughs> Foggy replies with, I have a little voice that's telling me to run screaming from here.
0: Come on, think about it. This is probably the safest place in New York City.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think that's what we in the biz call famous last words, right?
0: Oh, yes. Don't ever say that. You will
1: be Oh <laughs> No, no, you. no. Now, as they walk through one of the lower levels, Jessica continues trying to settle Foggy down.
0: You, sir, still have not one, but three big time superheroes standing right next to you.
1: Yes, Murdoch cuts her off and says, You understand, I'm not Dare.
0: Yeah, yeah, still with that. That's the yeah. Stick, yeah, sure. yeah. He also wrote Daredevil, we know. Uh, suddenly the lights go out, then an explosion. Half the facility is blown up. It proves to be such a shock that the entirety of Manhattan goes dark.
1: Yes, and then we shift scenes over to the apartment of Peter and Mary
0: Jane Parker. Peter says, No! Peter Parker! MJ, no. I'm putting my foot down, woman. This is it. No. Uh, No means no. But I... We have almost no free time together, MJ. You really want to spend it watching a Hugh Grant movie? It's romantic. Uh, Peter slumps on the sofa and says, I am so weak. (laughs) Tee-hee. You did not just tee-hee me. It wiped Then the lights go out Saved by the uh, blackout (laughs) Uh,
1: Now they look out the window And they see the blast from Riker's uh, Island there Peter suits up and slings out Unfortunately Riker's is an island Which means that there aren't any buildings And the like to sling from to get there In his normal fashion But, as luck would have it, a jet passes overhead at just that very moment.
0: Hey, what are you (laughs) (laughs) doing?
1: Sure. Spidey hangs on for the trip. However, once the jet reaches Rikers, it enters an electrical field and goes boom.
0: Whoa. So Spidey just splashes down in the old, I guess that would be the uh, Long Island sound right there. Hmm. And he says, And here's me swimming towards the disaster. Actually, I only can imagine that's what I'm doing. Because I lost the feeling in my feet as soon as I hit the water, ice cold water of the ice cold Atlantic Ocean.
1: Spidey pulls himself out of the
0: drink. And assuming, of course, I survive whatever goofball cosmic fiesta I'm heading, diving headfirst into here. Now I don't have a ride home.
1: As he pulls himself onto the island, he is met with the helping hand of.
0: Woof! Captain America! You didn't happen to bring a spare costume. Mine is soaking.
1: What's happening here?
0: Well, I give up. What's happening here?
1: We don't have time for smartass. This is.
0: Hey, I just got here. Stay behind me. What is this place?
1: Dude, you can see this place from your apartment window, right? Yeah. He doesn't know?
0: And you probably sent like 12 dozen people here, by the way. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> <laughs> The Very least, this is this is pretty much the main thing, anyway. And Captain uh, America's being kind of a jerk, isn't he? I know. He is sort of saucy. I don't know. Oh. He's got a little, uh, you know, Brian in him, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, down in the underground, Electro is unleashing his powers and just tearing the place up. As the cell doors open,
1: he says, Listen up, my Ma- my name is Max Dillon. Some of you know me, some of you don't, but I broke you losers out. Have fun. Enjoy your lives. But from here on in, now and forever, you guys owe me huge.
0: And so we cut to a two-page spread of Electro hovering before a grip of Marvel B-List villains, including the Armadillo, Crossbones, Scarecrow, the Marvel one, Typhoid Mary, (laughs) Mr. Hyde, Tiger Shark, the Marvel one, and Slug, the Slug, among others. And we (laughs) rejoin Murdoch and company, and we learn the reason Matt and Luke have visited the raft in the first place.
1: Yes, Matt goes, Jessica, where is he?
0: (sighs) Hell. The man we came to see? Jessica points to a cell, which Matt enters. Mr. Reynolds,
1: my name is Matthew Murdoch. I was coming here to see you as a favor to Reed Richards But it seems that we are in need of your immediate help
0: And Jesse and Foggy come up behind Matt And Jessica says, "Who is he?
1: Doesn't she work
0: here? <laughs> I, really? I mean, <laughs> what, what? What are you just taking out a random cell and hope this was the right person? Right.
1: <laughs> Foggy goes. That's Robert Reynolds. He went by the name of the Sentry. Uh, he's maybe, uh, according to Reed Richards, the most powerful superhero on the planet Earth.
0: What? What's he doing here? Again, I mean, she works here, right? I this is your first day? I don't really understand, you know?
1: I mean, she had to pull a file to find the the, the jail cell, right? She pointed I, to
0: it. I really don't understand. It's, it's like she brought them to the cell. She has she no idea what us. he is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Foggy answers that question with, he, he killed his
0: wife. Dun, dun, dun. And after that. And you were not kidding about up speedy very breezy breezy read that's all right we don't mind a breezy read sometimes that was uh pretty engaging stuff and definitely wets your whistle for what comes next but what's going to come next for us is a short little break and we're going to come back and wrap up bendis finch to talk about some other sweet newness that we've had from marvel in the past Mm -hmm. hey chris do you happen to have a copy of the uncanny x-men number 288 may 1992 cover date gee i don't know Well, if you had this CLZ Collector's app, then you could find out at a glance. CLZ.com gave us access to try out their app. Uh, They're not sponsoring us or otherwise partnered with Cosmic Treadmill. We just want to share the good news about this Collector's app. It's really awesome, really easy to use.
1: Absolutely, you could track all of your comics in your collection. Also, they have other apps where you can track your movies, books, music,
0: and games. You can use it on your phone or tablet and then that syncs right with your web-based or your desktop app. There's free cloud storage so that it happens in real time. You don't need to, you know, connect a wire or do anything like that. It's uh, all right up front.
1: Yeah, and uh, you can uh, use your uh, your device to scan the barcodes on your books to add them to your collection. And uh, the, the great thing about this is the barcodes scan right side up, upside down, even through your bag, so you don't have to unbag your books
0: as you add them to your collection. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard a lot of horror stories of people having <laughs> to, uh, you know, or people going through a lot of like almost like uh, setups trying to capture their barcodes. Sure. You know, <laughs> like, maybe if I stand super still and uh, with my hand up. Uh, you can also, once you do that uh you can automatically download all these issue details like you don't need to plug in all the uh, writers or the artists or the Any editors it's yeah. all all the creatives are in there uh the issue numbers the volume uh it's really totally complete and i was really super impressed with the uh depth of titles i tried to stump it i went back to the golden age the underground comics tried to put in one shots weird comics that i thought It really had them all, and it was super impressive, the the depth of the database. And then if you do stump it, you can add your comic title to the database so you actually help everyone else and make the uh, clz.com database that much better. So we just want to share that with you guys. Uh, We really recommend it. If you're not already using it and you're looking for something to organize your collection easily, this could do it
1: yes for more information check out clz.com and if you go there you can even try the app for free for one month
0: on your android or ios device couldn't get any better than that and uh with that we'll go ahead back to the show Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're going to wrap up the show with a little bit more of Brian Michael Bendis. But for more on that fella who may or may not have killed his wife at the end of the issue we just read, check out Weird Comics History, Episode 18, The Strange Story of the Century, available in our archives. And i got to say, Chris, one of my favorite episodes. That was a lot of fun. I really yeah. enjoyed really enjoy the heck out of that one and uh, <laughs> the way we structured it. So uh, back to Bendis. He wrote issues number 26 to 81 of Daredevil. That was December 2001 to March 2006 cover dates, most of them drawn by Alex Maleev. Uh, Bendis's name is one of the names used for boxers mentioned by a corrupt boxing manager in the 2003 Daredevil movie starring Ben Affleck. In 2001, Bendis helped launch Marvel's non-comics code-approved adults-only max imprint with Alias, featuring former superhero Jessica Jones operating as a private investigator. That series ran for 28 issues November 2001 to January 2004 cover dates, before many of the characters moved to Bendis' mainstream Marvel Universe series, The Pulse. That had 14 issues, uh, ran from April 2004 to May 2006 cover dates, which was about the people at the Daily Bugle that produced the weekly magazine The Pulse for the Sunday edition. Uh, Bendis was the co-executive producer and series pilot writer for Mainframe Entertainment's 2003 animated show Spider-Man, the new animated series that aired on MTV for 13 episodes and some other channel in Canada I forgot what it was Hmm. Uh, The episode he wrote was the third one aired, but he was credited with writing the first episode This, plus other experiences with Mainframe Entertainment, soured Bendis on the show in total in 2004, Powers moved from Image to Marvel's creator-owned imprint, Icon, where it was relaunched as Powers Volume 2 alongside David Max Kabuki. Uh, this is a pattern for Bendis' career, and it makes perfect sense. He takes his creator-owned stuff with him to whatever publisher he signed with, and if they don't have an imprint for him...
1: He'll make, make, one. make, <laughs> make yeah, one. I'm looking forward to the Boom mm-hmm.
0: uh, Jinx uh, launch in yeah, five Eventually, eventually, yeah. And then the IDW one. All win. of them, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, now, Bendis wrote the crossover Secret War. Uh, this is a mini series and it's singular, Secret War. Right. Uh, five issues, February 2004 through December 2005. Quite delays there because it was painted by Gabriel Delato This is a whopper of a story here Said to be loosely based on classified Operations told to Bendis by an Anonymous high-ranking officer in the United States intelligence community during Bendis' childhood In 2005 with artist Olivier Coipel, you think that's the way we say that?
0: Uh, sure, I like that one,
1: (laughs) Okay, Uh, Bendis wrote the New Avengers slash X-Men crossover House of M That ran eight issues from June to November 2005 cover dates In it, Scarlet Witch goes haywire and alters the fabric of Reality, likewise affecting all the books in the Marvel line at the time, especially the X-Men, because she said no more mutants, and uh, oh. so it was. Oh, now, uh, Bendis wrote Activision's Ultimate Spider-Man video game that was released in 2005. He also wrote an Avengers game, which was never released. In 2014, he wrote the plot of the Disney Infinity: colon Marvel Superheroes video game. He's also a writer of Marvel's MMO, called Marvel Heroes, and that debuted in 2015, but was shut down in 2017 when Disney ended its relationship with the game developer uh, Gazillion Entertainment.
0: After paying them a gazillion dollars, probably. Probably. (laughs) Uh, Back to the comics, though. After Marvel's 2006 Civil War storyline, which was written by Mark Miller, Uh, Bendis helmed another Avengers revival, launching Mighty Avengers with Frank Cho in 2007 that had 36 issues, May 2007 to April 2010 cover dates Frank Cho fell behind schedule and left the book after six issues and one more cover, which was on number seven Mark Bagley picked it up until issue 11, then it was handled by several pencilers And Bendis left it himself after issue number 20, which had a February 2009 cover date Bendis wrote the 2008 c- crossover Secret Invasion that had eight issues June th- 2008 to January 2009 cover dates, which would retroactively be considered the final act of a super event beginning with Avengers Disassembled and House of M. The shape-shifting Skrulls in this one have embedded themselves in polite society over the long term, which leads to some concerns, Chris.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Also in 2008 Bendis would have a debate with Robert Kirkman Over a video manifesto That Kirkman Kirkman had released online Which was kind of a call to arms For uh, creators to go into business for themselves Uh, You know, not do work for the big two uh,
0: Line their own pockets Make a zombie comic already (laughs)
1: <laughs> More or less. Uh, now, uh, Bendis played devil's advocate, claiming that there wasn't enough money changing hands in the independents to make it a viable option for creators. Of course, this is pre—you know—widespread Netflix so, oh, and yeah. uh, everything getting optioned left and right. Yep. This debate, which was filmed, is difficult to watch. It's difficult to read transcripts. And it was uh, mostly comprised of Bendis and Kirkman kind of propping each other up. Like, <laughs> it was very play fight well, You're and, a genius,
0: uh, but let me say, <laughs> uh, you know, let me defer how, how, to you. How your are you brilliance? so handsome and smart? <laughs>
1: but uh, in it, the term. Rarified air was said In order to describe their place in the comics biz It was said no less than two dozen times Throughout oh, it, it that's, that's horrible! Really really tough to listen to It was really just ugh. Ouch. Um, back to the comics After the one shot Secret Invasion colon Dark Reign that was February 2009 uh, Part of Marvel's Dark Reign crossover Branding at the time uh, Bendis would go on to write Dark Avengers This ran 16 issues from March 2009 To June 2010 cover dates With Mike Diodato on art Ah, uh, Bendis reteamed with Olivier Coypel for the crossover series Siege. That was a four-issue series, ran December 2009 through May 2010 cover dates, plus a whole lot of tie-ins and one-shots, uh, which <laughs> comes with the territory. Yep. Uh, now this brought the Dark Reign storyline to a close, and with it, Dark Avengers. Don't worry though, because uh, springboarding out of Siege, Bendis relaunched both Avengers and New <laughs> Avengers, what? <laughs> as part of the uh, the new branding, which was the Heroic Age. Uh, those came out July and August twenty ten <laughs>
0: cover dates respectively. C- could we just call one Old Avengers and you know then? Just... I, yeah,
1: it's because <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I'm guessing Mighty Avengers might have been done by this point, but
0: I, don't uh, know, I think that's I think that might be in the future. But this is this is the, this is the <laughs> beginning. The secret
1: of, Avengers came oh out. Boy,
0: oh boy, the Avengers man. books that are coming, boy. Uh, <laughs> though Icon through Icon Comics, Bendis launched Scarlet in twenty ten, his first new creator owned book in over a decade. This time he. Teamed up again with Alex Malieve This is currently being published by DC Comics Through their Jinx World imprint But we'll get to that very soon Uh, In February 2011 Icon released the all-ages graphic novel Takio by Bendis and Mike Oming In uh, mid-2011 Icon released a maxi-series Called Brilliant With with, uh, Mark Bagley uh, Bendis's other 2011 projects included a new Moon Knight series with Maliv that was 12 issues, July 2011 to June 2012 cover dates In conjunction with the Marvel Studios films, Bengers ordered Avengers Assemble in 2012, which ran for 25 issues that was May 2012 to May 2014 cover dates Bendis only wrote the first 8 issues, the rest of the run was handled by Al Ewing, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Warris Elling kind of trading off a lot. I think mostly Kelly Sue DeConnick ended up writing it.
1: And that series there, the, that that did come out alongside the other Avengers books, this is but the one this with one...
0: The, and it looks like Cap looks like the movie Cap, right? Wasn't that this yeah,
1: and, one? Yeah, and they changed Hawkeye's costume mm-hmm. from like the purple wingy thing so to like the, the movie, movie one. one. Yeah, yeah. The Hulk was part of the team after not associating with the Avengers for years, and we were told as fans that this was in continuity, but when right. we asked Marvel when and how... They they laughed at us and told us we were nerds for carrying. So. Uh,
0: but this this is <laughs> I, actually, actually that I do remember quite well that I yeah I, I was alive. Then. But I, but uh, <laughs> no, but that, I was in that was right around the time I really started to get engaged with the comics internet. So I actually remember sure. that going on. And uh, but this is what I think of when I think of making a comic look like the movie. Like, well at least mm-hmm. this was the team from the movie. You know what I mean? Like the other <laughs> the other one. I don't know. It was just crazy. Spider Woman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Bendis was. Uh, One of the writers on the Ultimate Spider-Man animated series, which debuted in 2012 and ran for four seasons under a few different titles over time. He concluded his stint on the Avengers and New Avengers in 2012 with the End Times arc. His final issue of of Avengers, which was number 34 January 2013 cover date, was a jam issue featuring several artists including Walt Simonson, Jim Chung, Terry Dodson, Olivier Coipel, and Laniel Yu.
1: And one thing about Bendis, he actually he actually took the effort to put a lot of the toys back the way he got them yeah. when he left the Avengers. So uh, I'll hand that to him because uh, a lot of people like to break the toys and be oh, like, yeah. "Okay, you fix it."
0: Yeah, but, uh, but
1: Bendis sure. actually did he did a fine job of uh, of trying to get things ready for the next guys. Uh, now, following Marvel's Marvel Now relaunch, the first time around of its titles in October 2012. Bendis would move from the Avengers over to the X-Men He took on writing duties of all new X-Men Which saw the return of the original X-Men from the 1960s To the present Uncanny X-Men, whose focus shifts to Cyclops' team of X-Men Going rogue after the events of Avengers vs. X-Men And Guardians of the Galaxy Because there was a movie co- oh, um, <laughs> Picking up where his Avengers Assemble run left off uh, <sighs> <laughs> so it's like, how many more balls are yawned in thumbtacks? Really?
0: really <laughs> what was going on? How many, you know, X, how many X Men? And the thing about, it, like, we talked about that all new X Men. That's one that I picked up. Yes, you, and that you were was, interested in this. that. That yes. was the team from the 60s meets the team from the present. Yeah. Oh, why do you have to make it so confusing <laughs>
1: And, and, and the thing, the thing, of it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a decent enough read. I, 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 I enjoyed Bendis' Avengers, his X Men. I really wasn't on board for his X Men as much, but it was a decent enough read. But it was just so complicated.
0: It, it was, it, it was, it was overly way comp. I mean, the thing is, like, even just what I just said isn't that complicated. But there was, they were always talking about things I that I felt like had happened. In another room or something, but uh, <laughs> and
1: it's like they kept threatening to send them back to the pr- to the past, but then it was a different past altogether. Right, it right, was, so right. wasn't the they wouldn't even ex- go
0: back oh. to the original. That's right. That I remember oh, that now. It's just like mess. what is happening. So <laughs> anyway,
1: now uh, Bendis did continue to write crossover events. Uh, and the next one it was the the Age of Ultron. This ran ten issues from uh, March through June, twenty thirteen. It was a weekly series, and uh, it actually came out like four years after it was supposed to. It was, it was hinted at way early. You're maybe midway through the Avengers run. Yeah. Uh, now, issue 10 of this series was the introduction of the Neil Gaiman character Angela into the Marvel Universe. And uh, you can hear all about that in our uh, Mysteries of Marvel Man uh,
0: series. Yeah, the uh, Miracle Man to... Marvel Man. Yep. That was yes. probably everything.
1: Now, in 2014, Bendis shut down the forums at his website, which is jinxworld.com, which effected, effectively ended the final iteration of the Bendis boards. This was one of the longest running online communities, having existed for 22 years. His goodbye message read It is with a heavy heart, but with a head full of love and fond, fond memories, that the Bendis board is now closed, put out to pasture. It's the end of the road. I'm immensely proud of the community we have built, the relationships we have made, and the literal decades of fun we have had together. For those looking for me, you can always find me on Twitter and Tumblr. I'm not going anywhere. I'm eager to hear your thoughts and love our interaction.
0: He continued, this looks to be one of the most exciting years I will ever have With the the debut of the Powers TV show and so many other big surprises coming in the next few months It is important now more than ever that I focus as much of my attention on my work and family I hope you take personal joy in the success of the books and creators you have championed so vigorously on these boards Careers were made because of you guys, and that's no exaggeration Do know that I truly love all of you and hope to speak with you as often as possible In 140 characters of less Bendis board, 1992 to 2014. And uh, note that Twitter, which used to restrict its users' posts to 140 characters, expanded to 280 characters per post in 2016. So now you can say more to Bendis. So that's nice. Why shut the board down? <laughs> I don't know. I, like,
1: I, like there weren't like 40, 50 guys lining up to be a moderator there,
0: right? I, I'm almost. I am. I could tell you for a fact there were plenty of moderators. It wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure this wasn't a burn robotics type operation. There, was, <laughs> there was a, it was more of a group effort. But anyway, uh, <laughs> bloody in the day. The day of the forum is past. You must admit that's basically it's that true. It's uh, so uh, web 1.0. <laughs> I don't Believe me, I'm more comfortable there too myself. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, Bendis was credited as a developer and wrote several episodes for the TV adaptation of Powers that ran on PlayStation Network for two seasons. From 2015 to 2016 In 2016, Bennis wrote the Civil War II crossover event for Marvel And like a dozen other comics that same year in November 2017, Bendis announced via Twitter that he would be working exclusively with DC Comics and had his DC debut in Action Comics number 1000. That came in June 2018, cover date. He wrote via Twitter, This is real. I love you all. Change is good. Change is healthy. I am bursting with ideas and inspirations. Details to come. Stay tuned.
1: And there was a long time between this signing and his DC Comics debut because Bendis acquired an MRSA infection that left him bedridden for a couple of months. Um, Methyl, what's it, methyl, methyl
0: methicillin, methicillin resistant
1: staph infection. Yeah, staph (laughs) infection This is a bacterium that causes infections In different parts of the body And it's tougher to treat than most strains of Staphylococcus aurorus or staph Because it's resistant to some commonly used Antibiotics at DC, he's currently writing action comics and Superman, and he's also handling his creator-owned properties through his own Jinx World imprint, and that's published through DC as well. He's also writing the Batman story in the applicable uh, Walmart 100-page giant that comes with Nick Derrington of our, on, on art. Mendes uh, teaches a course on writing graphic novels at Portland State University, and he's taught at the University of Oregon. Uh, he lives with his wife and four children in Portland. I, I think he... Does he have children or dogs?
0: Uh... Uh, yeah, I think he might have both. But quite for I know okay. he has children for sure. I know he has at least two adopted kids and two. Oh, kids, okay. Like that. Right. Uh,
1: now he writes there by day and hangs out with the. He he writes by night and hangs out with the kids during the day. Um, probably sleeps while they're in school.
0: <laughs> he has to sleep uh, sometime. Right, I mean he's got to sleep eventually. Yeah.
1: Uh, now he has won the following awards in 1999: uh, the Eisner Award for Talent Deserving of Wider Recognition. In 2001, another Eisner Award, this time for Best New Series. This is for Powers, alongside uh, Michael Avon Oming.
0: In 2002, he won an Eisner Award for Best Writer. This was for Powers, Elias, Daredevil, and Ultimate Spider-Man. In 2003, he won another Eisner Award for Best Writer for Powers, Alias, Daredevil, and Ultimate Spider-Man. In 2003, he won the Eisner Award for Best Continuing Series. That was for Daredevil with Alex Maleev.
1: In 2000 he won the Cleveland Press Excellence in Journalism Award And then he was the Wizard Magazine Best Writer of the Year for 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003
0: He was also Comics Buyer's Guide Best Writer of the Year 2002, 2003, and 2004 He was 2005 E3's People's Choice Award for Activision's Ultimate Spider-Man And he won a 2010 Inkpot Award And he's been nominated for many, many, many more awards than this uh, sometimes we do nominations, not this time, folks. It's just too many, too yeah. many to name here. But uh, so that wraps up. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis will uh, wrap up David Finch here. Uh, he worked on the revamped Moon Knight series with novelist Charlie Huston, that ran for 30 issues, June 2006 to July 2009, cover dates. Uh, then illustrated Fallen Son, Cole, and the Death of Captain America, number four, titled. Depression that had July 2007 cover date that was written by Jeff Loeb and featured spider-man every issue of that Ran run featured a different superhero. That was the Yeah, the the uh, spider-man Issue Finch then drew ultimatum the ultimatum series. That was five issues January through September 2009 cover dates also written by Jeff Loeb as part of Marvel's ultimate line of titles the event included pretty much every title in the ultimate universe
1: and it was terrible well, but uh, <laughs> I think that's the one where the blob Ate the
0: wasp, like on panel Wow, are you sure that yeah. wasn't a 1950s uh, <laughs> Sci-fi movie that you saw? <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: along with drawing interiors, theories David Finch has done a lot of cover work Including covers for World War Hulk event Also for X-Men number 200 That's volume 2 of X-Men And the X-Men Messiah Complex storyline Covers and all the covers for X-Infernus, the miniseries uh, Finch illustrated the cover to the rock band Disturbed, uh, 2008 album called Indestructible. He's also drawn uh, concept artwork for the Watchmen movie that was directed by Zack Snyder the very same year. Uh, the movie would come out in 2009, though. In January 2010, Finch left Marvel and became a, a DC-exclusive artist. He collaborated with Grant Morrison on Batman No. 700, August 2010, and he also drew a handful of issues of Action Comics uh, and also for the Brightest Day event was going that was going on at DC.
0: In July 2010, DC announced that Finch would be writing and drawing a new ongoing series titled Batman Call on the Dark Knight, which launched alongside Batman Incorporated with a January 2011 cover date. It had five issues before it had to be shelved and relaunched as a new volume for the new 52. David Finch then ceded writing duties to others at that point. In July 2012, during San Diego Comic-Con, Finch was one of six artists along with DC co-publishers Jim Lee and Dan DiDio, and also... Nicholas Scott, Mark Buckingham, Cliff Chiang, Tony S. Daniel and J.H. Williams III who participated in the production of an episode of the sci-fi reality television game show Face Off. In this episode, make and actually in the whole show, makeup artists were tasked with creating a superhero or a character in other episodes and Fitch, yeah. and the art, other artists provided guidance. Uh, the winning entry's character Infernal Core by Anthony Kosar was featured in Justice League Dark number 16, March 2013 cover date, which was drawn by Michael Yannin.
1: How about that? Yeah. Um, didn't know that. Uh, now, Finch and Jeff Johns would team up to launch a new uh, volume of Justice League of America. That was during the New 52. Ran 14 issues from April 20, 2013 to July 2014 cover dates. And together, they also produced the Forever Evil limited series in 2013. We have it listed here as seven issues, but it felt like it was like 30 or
0: 40. It, well, the um, last issue came out <laughs> about 15 years after it was supposed
1: to be. It's so. true. Uh, the <laughs> cover dates were September 2013 through May 2014. Uh, Finch and his wife Meredith Would take over the creative duties on Wonder Woman it is still New 52 uh, Beginning with issue number 36 January 2015 cover date And this is their first collaborative effort uh, David would wind up leaving the title But Meredith would close out the volume with issue number 52 July 2016 cover date Drawn by Miguel Mendonca
0: uh, Now as part of Madon- Is that how you say it? <laughs> the, the, that C is like a ch
1: Oh is it? Okay yeah. <laughs> the See with the tail, it's Chuck yeah. uh, Now as part of the DC Rebirth Relaunch of DC's titles uh, Finch teamed with writer Tom King To launch Batman Volume 3 This was June 2016 uh, With an August cover date He returned to draw another arc Called I Am Bane That one ran from April through June 2017 cover dates Most recently he's done covers for Batman Flash, Walking Dead by Image And Xeno the Warrior Princess For Dynamite Comics Finch was awarded the Yellow Kid Award in 2000. He won the Joe Schuster Award for Outstanding Artist in 2009. And in 2017, he won an Eisner Award for Best Short Story, and that was called Good Boy, and it appeared in Batman Annual Number 1.
0: Yep, and he is, of course, still rocking today. Still kicking. Yep, keep an eye out. I I do like his work quite a lot, and I think he is, uh, you know... Going to be one of the premier artists in comics for sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, this, uh, the hook for the episode, we're calling this "Everything Old Is New Again," and you know, it's is the new year. (laughs) Exactly, we're going to the new year. We read, uh, you know, the new Avengers, and you know, it's it's funny because here's a topic that is almost like like redundant in today's (laughs) landscape. Uh, (laughs) But there was a time that it wasn't so common that everything was just new all the time. Uh, You know, it was it was a big deal. So. Well, uh, here's a few instances of that. Uh, these all are Marvel-derived, so this yeah. is a special Marvel-centric episode. Uh, first, we'll talk about a uh, very well-known, New X-Men, but this is the first version of New X-Men. When Grant Morrison took over X-Men Volume 2, they decided to change the title to New X-Men, complete with a logo that looked the same right-side-up and upside-down. That change went into effect with issue number 114, July 2001 cover date. During that Morrison run, the mutant population had a bit of a baby boom, making them more of a legit global minority than just a scant, though growing, handful of superfolks. You know, it wasn't just like 30 people, it was many (laughs) more. The Xavier School was a primary focus of this run, and dozens of new X-Men were introduced. This run we'll likely talk about in a treadmill episode sometime in the not-so-distant future, so we'll... Won't reveal too much of their story for now, but we will say the new X-Men name would remain until issue number 156, June 2004, cover date. And the final two issues were written by Chuck Austin as a way to shift back into the business-as-usual X-Men and to rapidly begin undoing everything Morrison put into place. (laughs) We're not bitter, you're bitter.
1: <laughs> now there was a second version, and this one started out as another new title. This was originally New Mutants, Volume Two. Uh, now one month after the first volume of New X-Men ended, Marvel launched another book with the name. <laughs> so you- Take that Morrison fans Uh, New X-Men colon Academy X Number 1 launch with a July 2004 Cover date The Academy X portion of the title would be dropped With issue number 20 January 2006 (laughs) Cover date due to the House of M Event happening which left much Of the cast depowered in its wake Remember no more mutants Yes now, the series would initially focus on the young mutants as part of the population boom. These characters would be placed into teams. Each one was headed by an established X-Man. For example, Emma Frost had a team, uh, oversees a team called the Hellions, much like she did when they were villains back in the day. Right. Now, following House of M, New X-Men would become you know, just another team mutant book, basically, which is fair enough because, as mentioned, the series did spin out of New Mutants Volume 2. Uh, New Mutants Volume 2 was part of the Marvel Tsunami. Now, this was a short-lived brand, which may or may not have been influenced by the growing manga fan. what do you it think? Also- maybe? Yeah. <laughs> and it also introduced, like, runaways, stuff like that. Uh, this volume ran 13 issues from July 2003 cover date through June 2004 cover date.
0: New X-Men would wrap up its 46th with its 46th issue that in March 2008 covered it. and that led into the even dumber titled Young X-Men. They Marvel kind of went through a young titling phase at yeah. that time. Everybody got very young. Uh, young X-Men ran 12 issues That was June 2008 to May 2009 A funny aside about Marvel's use of Young is that they would put out A Young Gun she- sketchbook in 2004 Which included hot young Artist John Ramita Jr Who would have been 48 at the time A nearly 30 year veteran of the comics Biz but you know you're always always Trying to break in no matter how long you're doing it It's true uh, Also worth noting Marvel would launch a third volume Of New Mutants in the summer of 2009 I don't know if you want to Go too deeply into it Uh, Maybe you have more facts about it But Hmm. a lot of Marvel's uh, Disappointment I think with Grant Morrison is that he did this And then turned around and signed exclusive with DC Like at a convention or during, something? Like during San Diego, yeah. yeah during yeah. San Diego, yeah. So that, that was what really led to this uh, <laughs> bad blood, I think. But anyway. Yes.
1: Now, sticking with the X Men, we're going to look at another new X Men book. This is New Excalibur. This would run 24 issues, cover dated January 2006 through December 2007. This entire volume was written by Chris Claremont. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the previous volume of Excalibur really took liberties with the title of the book. You know, it didn't have anything to do with a British superhero theme. Uh, We did talk about Excalibur number 1 on a -hmm. a Cosmic Treadmill earlier in the year. Uh, This one was more focused on Professor X and Magneto. Who had died a month before the book came out But had enough decorum <laughs> to get better for this
0: Come, come pull yourself together Yes,
1: that, that's what we in the biz called Continuity done right, right. And uh, you know, certainly not at all Trying to get back at the guy who wrote the death issue Just because he signed an exclusive DC contract A couple months before oh. uh, Now this new volume Came in the wake of the House of M And was introduced in a four part arc In Uncanny X-Men issues 462 Through 465 This series would include the female Captain Britain that was introduced by Chuck Austin, who we mentioned earlier. She's now going by the name Lionheart because, hey, we've already got a Captain Britain.
0: Yeah, and calling her the female Captain Britain is kind of messed up, (laughs) quite frankly. Uh, The volume would become a depository for Claremont characters introduced during his second go-round on the X-Books that no one else wanted anything to do with. (laughs) Uh, He was probably fine with that. Uh, Also, so many darkened X-character doppelgangers, and uh, the Shadow King was there, too. Everyone, everyone's still awake for this? Ugh. Well, the next title we have is The New Exiles. Here's another short lived new title written by Chris Claremont. Yeah, yeah. uh, New Exiles ran 18 issues, covered dated April 2008 to April 2009. Uh, how did that? That's a lot of double shipping right there. I just realized I was <laughs> like, How'd right? you do 18 in a year? All right, <laughs> uh, it's more exiles, uh, reality hopping interdimensional Marvel characters banded together to do good. This time out, the real Psylocke and Sage, that's the former Tessa from the Hellfire Club, revealed to be Xavier's spy a few years prior. They're part of that team. And if you were to do a parody of a 2000s-era Chris Claremont, it would probably be this book, sadly. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it definitely sounds to... like boing, you know. Like every <laughs> like, let's throw some
1: ninjas in yeah. there. Let's. It's all it's, uh, it's all dimensional.
0: We got you know. Yeah. It, it, a, if Captain Britain shows up, it's all him.
1: Yeah, let's get let's get some people in there and with wearing leather. It's uh, it's mm. all good. Uh, another new title, the new Thunderbolts, following the Bill Gemma's blunder of transforming a pretty good team book into a silly fight club style book. Uh, Marvel would eventually relaunch the Thunderbolts with a new in its title, New Thunderbolts Number One, launched with a January two thousand five cover date, and they also had like a The Avengers Disassembled had a logo like written in Dymo,
0: yes, you know? Yes, yes, I know.
1: Uh, but on this Thunderbolt issue, the Dymo was there, but it said reassemble. so see. It's, they you flipped
0: know, it around. Yeah, it was it was like type, yeah. broken type or something like this, right? Yeah, yeah, the... like a label maker type stuff. Right, right, right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> New Thunderbolts would run until issue number 18, that's April 2006, before resuming its original numbering with Thunderbolts number 100. That came out in May 2006 cover dates, which is kind of a nightmare for fans trying to track these series. Uh, like if you're going through back issue bins.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> It's it could be a mess cuz you got to check both sides. I, I I really feel sorry
1: for the mm-hmm. folks it doing the same problem UX x so. Ugh now the yeah. opening arc of New Thunderbolts involved the Purple Man because after his appearance in Alias, Marvel tried sticking him everywhere they could.
0: Yeah, you don't know this, but he was actually in the Jessica Jones, like the first arc of the Jessica Jones Netflix show too. I don't know if you knew that. I'm sure
1: because he, he played uh, prominently in that series. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure.
0: So I mean, it was like the whole ten episodes. It would anyway. Uh, <laughs> Believe it. One of my very favorites, uh, New Warriors, which is not a new. New title. Uh, In fact, we discussed the first issue of the first volume a couple of years back on the Cosmic Treadmill. That was episode 36. You can find that in the archives. But the third and fourth volumes, however, did hit shelves during this run on new titles. That's right, the third and fourth. Uh, We figured (laughs) it might as well include it. New Warriors, volume three, that ran from August 2005 to February 2006, cover dates, was a six-issue miniseries written by Zeb Wells with art by Scotty Young. And this would depict the team members as stars of a reality television show, and that would become a catalyst for Civil War. New Warriors Volume 4 ran from August 2007 to March 2009, and that would feature many post-House of MD-powered Generation X-slash-New-X-Men-era mutants trying to keep up their heroing careers by using specially-powered suits. Uh, that's what we want to see. Tony Stark gets wrapped up in this one, because of course he does. Of course he does.
1: Another one, uh, the New Invaders. Now, this one spins out of the Chuck Austin Avengers run went 10 issues, issues 0 through 9, August 2004 through June 2005 cover dates. This team consisted of mostly new characters who were, like, if you squint, they're close enough to the original. Right, right. So
0: yeah.
1: instead of having, like, a fiery kid named Toro, there's a fiery <laughs> girl named Tara. Uh, instead of Captain America, you have U.S. Adrian.
0: Basically uh, yeah, <laughs> a, a Captain <laughs> America-type guy, right?
1: Yeah, you have a guy, with, a guy with a shield and wings on his head. There you go. Uh, Namor hung around and also the original Android Human Torch popped in and out uh, They wound up working for A US Secretary of Defense Who wound up being the Red Skull mm. Yeah, uh, you know, and we could jump over to DC and look at things like new Teen Titans, new Guardians, new Gods, even the recent new Superman, but uh, we won't.
0: Because, it, I, to, be, to be fair, it's sort of a different thing, those those it things, is. you know, like it, new These new were branding, yeah. Exactly, like, it's different thing. We could also look at some of those all-new books from Marvel that we've kind of, like, skirted around when we talked about Bendis, like mm-hmm. the all-new X-Men, all-new Wolverine, all-new Inhumans. All
1: new, all different
0: Avengers. All new X Factor. All new Captain America. All new Hawkeye. All new Dupe. All <laughs> new Invaders. All new Ghost Rider and all new Ultimates.
1: All new Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, probably a handful we missed. Most likely, uh, yep. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll save
0: those for another time. Is that a threat or a promise, Chris? Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Well, that wraps us up for that that malarkey. And you know, we actually talked about it uh, before the episode. You know, we may get to those the all new Marvel era because it has. We got to put some distance on it. You know what I mean? But yeah, we have kind of closed it in a sense with a changing of the. Uh, the guard, the EIC from
1: the, the executive editorial, yeah, right.
0: So uh, you know, uh, anyway, this is not a promise or anything, but it it could happen sooner rather than later. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how our emotionally feel about it. Uh, but that does wrap up our thing for Bendis, and I want to say, you know, we had a lot of fun, had our laughs, had probably opined more than we do usually in these cosmic treadmills. But uh, it is important to, to to see, and you see why he won so many awards early in his career is he really did create a seismic shift in the way comics were written sure. uh, just and i think a lot of people kind of follow that tack now um that's just the fact of the matter that's uh, i'm not going to leave it there absolutely but, yeah. you know this is an accomplished fella and as you as you as long as it took to read his his uh bibliography that's how much work he's done in a relatively short amount of time so uh, mm-hmm. ha- head, hats off to Brian Michael Bendis if you want to put your hat back on for him or want to talk <laughs> to us about uh, what what's new in your lives or <laughs> wishes uh, happiness for the new year you can write to us at weird comics history at gmail.com We have a patreon if you like what we do you want to chip in get some patron exclusive shows that come out every single month as well as uh, some messages and whatnot. You can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash chris and Reggie.
1: You can follow us on Facebook over at facebook.com slash cosmic T mill history. You can also follow us on Instagram at cosmic T mill.
0: Same thing on Twitter that's at cosmic T mill, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie.
1: I'm at Ace Comics. Uh, you can check out our weekly writings on new DC comics and some classic stuff as well over at WeirdScienceDCComics.com.
0: And you can check out Chris's daily blog where he reviews a different DC comic every day of the week. That is Chris's on InfiniteEarths.com. Uh, how many, what are we up to now?
1: Uh, 1060 something. Yeah.
0: We are just moving along. I'd say you have only. Uh, 25 million ago. About that, about that. So yeah. We're, we're going to get there. You're, you're, you're closing it. in on it. Uh, <laughs> of, of course, our, uh, oh yeah, you can do this part.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, we also have the show site. You can check out weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com There you can find all of our show notes, our links, our images, also a chronological listing of all the programming available on our little... Our little humble channel here. Yeah, uh, everything's in a row. It's easy to find. We got box sets. Everything's collected where you might want to see it. Uh, it's a good time over there.
0: It's definitely it. the the best place to go if you want to listen to our back episodes and uh, see maybe a little more material. And uh, while you're over there, if you're feeling a little chilly and you want to put something on your upper body. Click on the banner to 80 teascom and check out what they have to, to uh, offer. If you like what they have and you buy some teas, then you help us out, you help them out, and hopefully you cover your naughty bits and everyone's happy. Absolutely.
1: You can also check out clz.com. Those are our friends over at the Collectors app where you can track your all your collections. I was just going to say comics, but they're oh, yeah. so much movies, more than that. Books, uh, movies, music, thing, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: all sorts of stuff there. Uh, they were kind enough to lend us or, or give us uh, versions access. of the app. So, Yeah, access. So uh, we were able to try it out and uh, we think if you're listening to this show, you might be of the right ilk to uh, For sure. fully appreciate that, uh, that application. And before we go uh, Definitely happy and safe new year
0: To everybody Yep, Happy happy everybody Be good and Mm -hmm. have a good time with your family and friends And don't drink too much Or if you do please don't drive
1: Absolutely.
0: But uh I think that's all we got from this year, Chris. Got anything else for him? <laughs> I think that'll do us. That's what that's what dad that's the dad joke we all have to do. It is. See yeah. you next year. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill for all Lang Syne
1: See ya next year.
0: <laughs> Who got the nerve to uh? write a jam that you could squirt up? Uh. Over track so fat, the nickname Big Burfa. It's probably the kid that half the cruise and never heard uh. of. Poop mind travels further than sex, drugs, and murder. So when you play the role of the time of I'm sorry if you're 85 and you would up this Album full of ignorance, the places and experience before the reasons why. For the sake of sound and fly, but I'll break style without the curve because you don't deserve to. Receive the grade that might let you build up the nerve uh. to the feed you and need you to listen. My words are wet with crystal clear wisdom, so they glisten. And I fill in the blanks for all the answers that you're missing. I'm rolling with the mongrels, because next steady hissing. To expose my flaws like swords and source. Since they cannot be reformed, I simply kill them by the force. So in other words, nah man, skip the explanation. See, that's what the rewind's for. So be patient, because this is the direction that my pen should be dragging. To transform your dollar cats into bandwagon.